Now, you know me, Justin, I'm relatively well-traveled, having spent a fair amount of time abroad recently, so that's meant accessing the content I want to watch has been difficult. But don't fear, Justin, because there's a solution. What's the solution? It's a handy tool called NordVPN. What's NordVPN, Ryan? Justin, NordVPN is a cyber Swiss army knife with plenty of features and benefits. Firstly, being able to access streaming services from different countries by changing your virtual location at the push of a button, giving you access to so much more content. It means missing sporting events, not being able to watch your favorite shows or films. It's a thing of the past. Better yet, it doesn't just stop at football. So you're telling me it just gives me access to different content? Absolutely not. There's so much more. You can save money, for example, by scouring different flights from different virtual locations, giving you the best deals possible. Better yet, you can do this by purchasing different subscriptions from other countries at a cheaper price. This is all knowing you're accessing a service that was named in Times Magazine's Best Inventions for 2022. So what are you waiting for? Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash second tier to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan. Plus a bonus gift. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. It's the equivalent to buying a cup of coffee every month, a small price to pay for premium cybersecurity and access to vast amounts of entertaining content. Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Frank Lampard to my Graham Potter. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. I did think of you, Justin, when that appointment was announced. I, d- I don't think there's anybody in the world who can fail upwards as much as Frank Lampard has done. The man is a complete failure, yet he gets rewarded with good jobs time and time again. Where's my reward? I'm a failure. Where's my top earning job? I don't understand. You are still so bitter about that 2019 playoff final, aren't you? Who starts no strikers in a playoff final? Let's be honest. What tactical genius does that? Nobody. Uh, I, I play FM a lot and I could have started a half-fit striker at least for 45 minutes. Frank Lampard, you're an absolute... Anyway, yeah, let's, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. It was a great Friday, Justin, wasn't it? A great Friday round of championship fixtures. And we have to start off by saying a big congratulations to Burnley on finally securing promotion Back to the Premier League. We'll talk about that very shortly as we go through all the games from Good Friday. Talk about some of the news from the past few days, including Mick McCarthy's departure from Blackpool. We'll get onto that in the news. Uh, and then we'll finish off with a little game right at the end. So let's go around the grounds. And it wasn't a Good Friday, but a great Friday for Burnley, who secured promotion back to the Premier League after winning 2-1 away at Middlesbrough. It was only a matter of time, and it's been a matter of time for a while now, but now that it's finally official, you could see what it meant to all the players and staff and fans, for that matter, didn't you, when the final whistle went here? 
Yeah, it was, I wouldn't say it, it was relief, but it was, you know, it's, it's done. We've done it. We've achieved what we set out to achieve. I, I assume they set out to achieve promotion at the start of the season. I can only think that companies, um, companies ethos and mentality would have been get promoted, do it as best as we can. Um, and, and as I say, they've gone out and achieved that. And to do it at a team, well, one of the best teams in the league this season, but approved that uh, under Michael Carrick, to do it. At their at their stadium was um, was magnificent, and it just goes to show just just how quality they they have been. And as I say, yes, they spent a lot of money. We know that they spent a lot of money, but to create that sort of team in such a short space of time is nothing short of remarkable. Carrick's tried to do it, but it's you know it's not quite at the level where Burnley. And I'm sure if the season was five or ten more games um, longer, Carrick could probably maybe achieve this, uh, a similar outcome uh, as to what Burnley have. But yeah, Burnley. Remarkably brilliant, staggeringly uh, efficient in all departments. Yes, it was a brilliant season and you just can't give them enough credit for what they've achieved. Yeah, well, it would have been interesting to see how close Middlesbrough would have got to Burnley if Michael Carrick was in charge from the start of the season. I mean, mm -hmm. Middlesbrough gave them a good game, which isn't surprising at all. They are the side who have come closest to matching Burnley since the turn of the year. But even then, whatever challenge the Clarets have been faced with, they've dealt with it. I mean... Two losses all season. That is pretty incredible, isn't it? And Burnley have become the first team in championship history to be promoted with seven games or more remaining. Now, Justin, does that say more about how good Burnley are or how weak the championship is, in your opinion? Let's not take anything away from Burnley. I thought, you know, before I'm, you know, I'm about to say what I'm about to say, I do think this league is a lot weaker than it has been in previous years. Um, I mean, if you just look at the quality of the teams that have come down from the Premier League, Norwich have been largely pretty poor. Um, who are the other team? Watford. Yeah, Watford have been incredibly inconsistent as well. So those teams haven't really got to a level where they can keep up with a challenge for the playoffs, let alone a top two uh, a top two place, which isn't usually the norm. That being said, there is Sheffield United in amongst the, the autos, but even then, they haven't got close to, to Burnley either. So... Yes, Burnley have been absolutely fantastic. They've been brilliant all season. They've beat what's in front of them, and that's what you can give them credit for. But um, that being said, I just yeah, probably hasn't been as good as a season in terms of quality, um, in terms of the chasing pack, than it has been in previous years. And it's not a criticism of Burnley. It's probably more so um, a, a, a symptom of how poor the season or how the season's been set out with managerial sackings, the big break um, with the World Cup. That's probably more more of a case of that than it has been. Yeah, a, a terrible, terrible uh, season. But yeah, it's, it's there's still good teams in there, but not as good as previous years. I disagree. I don't like it when people say the championship's getting weaker. Yes, just about every team in the division has struggled for consistency at times this season, and people say that's because of the standard of the of the division. Is it because of the standard of the division or is it just that the division is so competitive? I believe the championship is getting stronger and stronger because some very good players are having to filter down into the second tier simply because they can't get game time in the Premier League. And you look at some of the teams near the bottom of the division. Birmingham's midfield is one of the most talented in the division. QPR have Elias Chair and Chris Willock, who are two of the best players in the championship last season. Blackpool have Josh Bowler, who moved for millions of pounds to the Premier League last summer. So I, I could go on, but the point is, I think the division's just stronger overall than it has been. And Burnley have been just a step above in that regard and deserve a hell of a lot of credit for 
doing brilliantly with their recruitment and bringing in a top manager in Vincent Company. And to say they've just walked a poor division is wrong and doing them a disservice, in my opinion. I suppose the big question is, Justin, now that they've finally secured their place back in the Premier League, how will they do next season? I've been putting off asking that question for a while. Number one, so we didn't curse them. And number two, <laughs> so we didn't run out of things to talk uh, to talk about them uh, with. So we can finally talk about it now. How do you think they will do when they're back in the Prem? I look at the Premier League now. I look at the teams that are in the bottom three, Nottingham Forest, or teams running around the bottom three, Nottingham Forest, Southampton, West Ham. There are teams probably there who can be performing a lot better. But if you look at Crystal Palace, they've got a very good squad for a Premier League level. And that's probably where Burnley will want to be at. You know, there's a lot of attacking quality. There's a lot of uh, yeah, very good defensive players as well. But there's also a lot of experience. Burnley lack the experience side of things, which is probably something that company will need to address in the summer. I think if they do address that, I, yeah, they probably could be competitive, at least be competitive as opposed to being a team that's going to get slaughtered every week like Norwich have been in the past. I think that's the big difference. I think Burnley will be a team who will probably... As long as they finish 17th or above, that'll be a huge success. That being said, they've got a clear identity. They've got good recruitment policy. It's just whether or not those players can adapt. There's not a big uh, set of data that we can look at and, and well, with this squad anyway, and say, you know, they're, they're, def they're definitely going to do it. But I do like the look of them under company. And I think company's mentality, uh, his ability to coach, are, set, you know, are quite yeah, very high above a lot of teams in and around that sort of bottom, bottom six, bottom seven. So I do think. I do fancy them to stay up, but it's obviously too early to say. Good summer, a good summer will, will prove to be yeah the defining factor in that. Well, I'm very confident in saying Burnley won't go down next season. This is a club with its head firmly screwed on. Its its recruitment has been top class over the past year. They've got a brilliant squad with loads of depth and. Most importantly, a very good manager in Vincent Company, who I hope stays put at Turf Moor. He's going to have to alter his style of play to survive in the Premier League, but hopefully they can still play some really nice football like we have seen from them this season. Considering the standard of the bottom eight teams in the Premier League this season, Burnley are better than that. And I think even if they went into the Premier League with their current side, I think they would have stayed up this season. They need to try and get back some of their loan players, the likes of Ian Martson and Taylor Harwood-Bellis, whether that be on loan again or permanently. Uh, they need to try and get a striker in as well. That has been the main weakness, actually. Weakness is a strong word. But their main area where they could be even better. They signed <laughs> Lyle Foster in January for a lot of money, but I haven't seen enough from him to say... He's the answer. So get a striker in, plus Martson, Harwood Bellis, Teller, Bayer. I wouldn't be surprised to see Burnley do something similar to what Fulham have done this season. I reckon they're more likely to finish top half in the Premier League than go down, in my opinion, just because you look at where this club is going, it seems to be going on a massive trajectory up and up, whereas a lot of teams in the lower half of the Premier League look like, I don't know what direction they're going in, to be quite honest. Um, for Middlesbrough, if their promote, automatic promotion hopes weren't over before, they probably are now, aren't they? The only redeeming factor really is Burnley could do them a favour on Monday because they're playing Sheffield United, although having just seen a video of the Burnley players celebrating after their promotion last night, <laughs> Middlesbrough fans may be uh, hoping in vain in that, in that respect. Yeah, there's a there's not a big big turnover in time, is it? To, to dust off the hangover, and <laughs> nope. 
And if uh, if they're going as hard as I, I think they may have been, two-day hangover can't be ruled out, which are nasty things over I think Michael Oberfemi might be having longer than a two-day hangover. <laughs> yeah, ruled out for a week because of a yeah, unreported uh, absence. Um, but yeah, it's I think this is a good uh, a good testament as to how far Borough have come. They've come up against the league's best and, and they have gone toe-to-toe with them for large periods of the game. But it's just, yeah, Burnley have obviously got that quality, that drive to win, that Borough don't have in, in sense that Burnley are chasing a title but they're tra- chasing promotion whereas Borough maybe dropped off in the last couple of games because that um, that chase for the top twos is, is is dwindling a little bit that being said they they showed a lot of uh, not character but a lot of ability going forwards there's a lot to a lot to see a lot to be impressed by I do think they're missing Dale Fry Paddy McNair last two games hasn't massively impressed me but as I say Dale Fry comes in um, I think that changes the defensive outlook of this team because I think that's probably their the main area of weakness uh, in this Borough side compared to the rest of the top six is is a defensive ability not a criticism but there are teams that are better defending than Borough are but there aren't teams that are good as uh, good at attacking as Borough either so swings and roundabouts with them but it's a decent performance but they just come up against the, the best team in the league and fell short. Yeah, in terms of their automatic promotion push, they've got a nine-point gap with six games remaining. And worth mentioning, Sheffield United do have a game in hand as well. So I know I said before, Sheffield United weren't bottling promotion. They were just seemingly, at the time, getting caught by a very good side. If Sheffield United don't go up now, then they would be bottling promotion. You need, well, Middlesbrough need them to be slipping up multiple times. So... Middlesbrough will be hoping they've brought their roller skates to an ice rink in that regard, <laughs> won't they? Uh, let's discuss the Blades quickly, Justin. They beat Wigan 1-0 at Bramall Lane. I have no idea how Sheffield United weren't 3 or 4 up at half-time in this one. Wigan did come close a couple of times in the second half, but Sheffield United won't care. doesn't matter how they got the three points. It's a huge, huge win for the Blades, isn't it? Massive win, a very professional performance. They're just doing what you expect them to do at this point. They're doing what they were doing at the start of the season, winning games in third gear, essentially. Um, I don't think we've really seen the best of Sheffield United this season, and I don't think we will. I don't think we'll see the the full potential of this team. And to, for a team to still be promoted while not showing their very, very best, I think is yeah quite a staggering achievement from them. But it was a professional performance against a side that had been rejuvenated in, in recent weeks under a new manager. But... They're, they're, they're clinical. They are pushing for that top two, as as we say, and that really does help. In the clean sheets, last two games are a massive, a massive push uh, or a massive buzz going forwards. But yeah, they they've got that ruthlessness that other teams don't. Ruthlessness to defend, ruthlessness to be aggressive, ruthlessness to dictate the tempo of a game or dictate a game. Uh, and yeah, a team pushing for the top two is what, that's what you fully expect from them. And they did that here. I say the only criticism you can say is they didn't they didn't make it three or four as they should have. Well, if they had that ruthlessness in front of goal, then they would have seen off this game pretty quickly, wouldn't they? Uh, because, as I say, they should have been at least three goals up at half-time, really. Mm. Um, and that ruthlessness is something they have been missing recently, isn't it? One of the reasons why Sheffield United have dropped off is because their ruthlessness, their ability to you know, exploit weaknesses in the opposition and take risks, that hasn't really been there in recent times. But in the last two or three games they've had enough to just get points on the board and as long as they're getting more points than Middlesbrough at this point then mm-hmm. that's all that matters really it means Sheffield United could secure promotion next weekend depending on how results go on Easter Monday that would require them to beat Burnley I must point out but they have essentially got one foot in the Premier League now haven't they 
pretty I would I would say so I think again I've been fairly confident with Sheffield United finishing in our top two uh, as I'll definitely point out at various points over the next few weeks um, and, and that's down to their ability to defend every team's going to have a wobble throughout the season every team's going to drop off a little bit and Sheffield United did that um, throughout sort of February March time a bad time to do it but they've picked up and they've recovered and that's all you can really ask of them they've got all their players back and again it's yeah a, a big big positive for them for me they're a team under Heckingbottom who are able to manage games very very well and I think that's that's the, the big the big difference they've got a lot of experience and that experience has pushed them into that top two because I think if they were a team who didn't have as you know, the likes of an Ollie Norwood Billy Sharp in around the dressing room they probably wouldn't be able to see these types of games out they've won a lot of games by a goal and as I say that experience is, is the key factor in that and that's pushed them to, to having that there one foot in the door as you say Let's turn our attentions to the relegation battle, Justin, and we may as well begin with Wigan. Still bottom of the table after this result, eight points from safety. I don't think many were expecting them to get much here. I suppose the main positive is their goal difference didn't take a battering like it probably should have if Sheffield United had their shooting boots on. They'll just have to move on and go again, won't they? They've got some very winnable games coming up. Three of their remaining six fixtures are against sides bang in trouble of going down and of essentially, you know, relegation six-pointers. They'll be looking at the likes of Reading and QPR who are not within touching distance but not miles away and thinking we can overtake them. I think if they can get a win on, on Monday, it's obviously a big ask but a team putting you know, fighting fighting for their lives um who don't score enough goals uh, any win i think is a big ask but i think if they get, if they can get a win on monday and teams above them continue to drop points that will serve as a, as a big motivator i think in in wigan pushing up the table because they just need that little glimmer of hope just to latch on to that will pull them out of that bottom three um it's, 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 it's going to take a lot of, a lot of points that need to be made up but as i say wigan have been quite except well I say quite exceptional they've been good under maloney their lack of goals is an issue. They're the lowest scorers in the league with, I think it's CF yeah, 34. It's not ideal, but again, we, we've seen we can do it in the past. Whether or not this is too much, you know, a lot has gone on this season. A lot has been chipped away at the players this season. That, you know, the, the payment issues that have that have you know, developed throughout the, the the course of the campaign, not ideal. They've got you know, had some injuries to key players as well. Some new players that came in in uh, the, the summer haven't really settled in, like Scully, for example. So there are a lot of, yeah issues that have been chipping away at the team but I do think if they can get a win on Monday teams are building drop points that might serve as a little bit of a, a little bit of a hope but I would say at this point Wigan and Blackpool certainly certainly are struggling to, to sustain the division now Huddersfield came from a goal down to beat Watford 3-2 their third win in a row another huge result but the thing is Justin even when Huddersfield went a goal down it just seemed so predictable that they would still get a result here. Were you the same? It's stubbornness. It's stubbornness. It's Neil Warnock's stubbornness that that, that I think serves as that. His, his stubbornness to, to come out of retirement to take over a team who largely looked down and out at the time of his appointment, looked down and out just before the international break. That stubbornness to when they go one nil down to say actually we're not gonna we're not gonna stop here we're gonna carry on going and see where we go it's yeah it's just pure stubbornness it's it, that's all you can really put it down to and as you say going one nil down you do expect them under Neil Warnock to to at least be in the game and they were they took the game to Watford come out the other side with three points it's bravery it's something that we haven't seen from them all season and as I say that's that's down to Neil Warnock well Watford started 
quite well here. They had a few decent attempts and, of course, went a goal ahead. But then Huddersfield just took it to them. And we'll have yet another discussion about the mess at Watford shortly. But you've got to take your hat off to the sensational job Neil Warnock has done at Huddersfield, haven't you? In fact, I'm not sure my hat is enough. I might take my whole kit off um, just to show my... Oh, you weren't saying that before, Justin. Um, <laughs> just to show my respect to Mr. Warnock. I mean, Huddersfield looked as if they were dead and buried. They were they were in the coffin. Their lid was being lowered. But Neil Warnock comes along and does some voodoo magic Undertaker. to resurrect them. Yeah, it's absolutely mad. And it wasn't just us saying they were going down. You'd have done well to find a Huddersfield fan who still believed they could mm-hmm. stay up like the week before the international break. Now they look as if they could do it fairly comfortably because there are five, six, or maybe even seven sides who look more likely to go down than them. And Warnock has said it will be his biggest achievement to keep them up. And he's right. He's known for performing miracles, but this is Mm -hmm. the biggest one of all. He He says he's just given them a little bit of belief and that's seemingly gone a hell of a long way. And... I mean, let's be honest, this squad's not great at all, but they're fighting for each other. And that's that goes a long way at this level, doesn't it? He's got three wins from Millwall away, Middlesbrough at home and Watford away, which is a pretty staggering run of form, isn't it? It is truly balmy. Let me ask you this, Justin, with the brilliant job that Neil Warnock has done, give him the job till next season as well. <laughs> I want to let him rest. I want to let him relax. Um, I think every Huddersfield fan will want him to to stay, obviously. And I think Neil Warnock will probably want to stay himself. But he deserves some time off. He needs the time off as well because I say he's he's an old man now. And I think you wouldn't want to tarnish a reputation, especially if you keep Huddersfield up. I think even if Huddersfield do get relegated, I, I, I still think it's a remarkable achievement as to what he's. What he's done in such a you know a, a short space of time. Just look at Josh Caroma's turnaround in form, for example. He's been absolutely sensational in the last few games, um, and he was he was shipped off on loan to Portsmouth, and his career looked like it was done at uh, John Smith Stadium. But he's he's been brilliant, and that's down to Neil Warnock. And if you can get that out of players in a short space of time, just think what you could do over a season. But I think Huddersfield needs to build for the future, new ownership, get a new man in, build again. I think that's the route I would go down but you can't take away from his achievements should he should he keep Huddersfield in the in the championship the man will never rest Justin <laughs> uh, Watford's shambolic season goes from bad to worse to even worse the story here was another incredible win for Huddersfield but the outrage of Watford fans being on full show also deserves a bit of a headline in itself there are a chance of you're not fit to wear the shirt Gino Pozzo get out of our club this is a football club in complete disarray, isn't it? It's not a surprise. Watford fans have been sold short. It's gotten toxic, and as I say, it's it's, it's absolutely no surprise. They've been supporters have been lied to. They've been missold by the owners. The promises that were made in the summer were all broken by the time September October came around. I'm not surprised Watford fans are angry and now they're being served up with performances that are falling so short of what is the bare minimum. You can't even sort of describe what, what you have, what's, what's happening. For example, the signing of Brit Asambolongo was a bit of a strange one. The signing of um, Leandro, Leandro Bakuna, isn't it? If anyone's mm-hmm. got a similar surname, I get so 
mixed up with them. Um, but the signing of Leandro Bacuna, just really strange signings from a, a club that is rudderless, engineless, and seemingly lacking any structure that needs a football club to survive. I made the uh, the comparison of Luton in midweek. Luton are a well-run club. If they had the finances Watford had, or the backing that Watford had from the owners in the early stages of their yeah, ascent up to the Premier League, they would be miles ahead of, of Watford. Watford would be yeah, they're, they're, they're in a spiral downwards, which isn't a good place to be. And Chris Wilder's probably taken a job hoping that he can galvanise something for, between now and the end of the season. I reckon he's regretting his choice. I just can't. I just can't see. I just look at his his demeanour, his his body language, and what he's saying in press conferences. He's abjected to, yeah, frustration. He doesn't want. I didn't say he want, doesn't want to be there, but he's certainly he's not a happy man, and he's just been appointed, which is staggering. I'm not sure I've seen a man age a decade in the space of a few weeks before, but Chris Wilder is a good example of how it is possible. Uh, the club is completely divided, and everyone is to blame at Watford. There are, there are some very talented players at this club and they've not shown that at all for quite some time now. And the lack of desire is incredible. Football fans will often say, oh, the players weren't playing for the shirt. Watford fans can legitimately say that because there is so little desire from what I've seen of these players. Chris Wilder hasn't been there long, but he hasn't done anything to improve things perhaps I'm being a bit harsh there but still considering some of the opposition they've come up against we haven't seen Mm -hmm. any form of improvement at all and then of course the owners whose hiring and firing ideology has finally caught up with them Watford fans were very protective of that before but now it's really come back to bite them because that's the main thing for me there's no plan at Watford to get things moving in the right direction and there either needs to be a change of ownership or a completely change of philosophy there. But it feels like we're past that point now. And Watford are a club firmly at a crossroads. And who knows where they go next. A final thing on this game. What on earth was Daniel Backman doing? Goalkeeper goes up for the corner. Gets he, he gets a yellow card on his way up there for arguing with the referee. And then literally seconds later gets a second yellow for nearly kicking Matty Pearson's head off bonkers decision from him but I think that whole moment was a sign of how much the Watford players just lost their heads Mm -hmm. Um, QPR lost for the ninth time in 10 games after being beaten 2-0 at home by Preston ninth time in 10 games my lord Uh, QPR did have a couple of good chances in the first half particularly Elias Chair who really squandered a very good chance and by squandered I mean really balls it up and then a quick fire double from Tom Cannon and this game was dead it leaves QPR well and truly staring down the barrel Justin Pooch what do we say you know when teams are doing really really well like Burnley for example we run out of things to say I've never experienced a team doing doing as badly as QPR that it's you know, the shoes on the other foot in that sense I've, I've run out of things to assess with with this Rangers side but I mean just, just <laughs> I think Ainsworth is making some decisions that I wouldn't necessarily agree with. For example, they're constantly pumping the ball up to Lyndon Dykes. He did it a lot. He won, well, he had nine aerial duels to, to compete with. And that means retaining possession becomes a 50-50 factor when you're relying on second balls. And when you've got a team who are uh, seemingly losing the ball a lot, they lose possession a lot, and the confidence is rock bottom, it's not a healthy, uh, it's not a healthy way of playing, I don't think. 
you mix that you, when you compare that as well with the, the points per game from Ainsworth as Ainsworth's um tenure so far, he's on 0.3, whereas Critchley was on 0.8. So Critchley was doing a lot better at this stage in his QPR career than, than Ainsworth was. I just think as well that the style of play, the differences in style of play has really led to this point as well. To go from Beale, who played a very nice fluid 4-2-3-1, created a lot of chances defensively, they were very solid as well, to a, to a Critchley side who are almost similar but a little bit more structured to an Ainsworth side where it's just long balls. It's just catastrophic decision-making at the very top of the club as well, which has got to this point. Where do they go from here? I honestly have no idea. It's, it's, it's League One for me. I can't see them pulling themselves out of it because this run of form, as I was, as I was saying at the start, I've never assessed a team in my time doing this podcast with you that have been on such a bad run of form as QPR. It is horrendous. It really is horrendous, isn't it? It's, it's interesting what you were saying about the style of play. It's the same with Watford, isn't it? It's yeah. not... I mean, I was going to say it's not difficult appointing a manager. Of course it's difficult, but it's not difficult appointing a manager who's got a similar style of play. It's just common sense as far as I'm concerned. So to go from, and you mentioned the style of plays there. I mean, Mark Warburton this time last year was playing <laughs> a very different style of play yeah. to what Gareth Ainsworth does. And I think in this game, everything just really came to a head. It's it's very rare for a football club to just be in a moment where everything is going wrong. The atmosphere is bad. There's no confidence around the place. I mean, Elias Chair's miss was a great summary of that. One of the most talented players in the division, completely spooning a one-on-one. But QPR fans are very angry. There was a chant at one point, excuse my language, fuck off, Les Ferdinand, amongst various other things. And I can't see any sign of improvement from these games. It's just turning into an absolute disaster. Gareth Ainsworth isn't entirely to blame for this or going wrong, but he's certainly not helped things either. And do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when Alan Shearer was in charge of Newcastle for eight games. You get a club hero in to try and give everyone a morale boost around the club and it ends up having the exact opposite effect because they're just losing every single game and they're not even coming close, are they? Simple, yeah. don't have a clue what they do next. Do they sack Ainsworth? I mean, four managers in a season is insane, but I just don't know what else to suggest to try and turn things around at this point. And I struggle to see anything else happening right now but QPR getting relegated because everything has fallen apart. I mean, Reading are struggling to get points themselves, but at least they're getting some points. QPR just aren't getting anything, are they? Oh, exasperating. <laughs> um, let's talk Preston Justin. We've both been sceptical about them getting a playoff place. In fact, it's not even been scepticism. We've been outright saying it won't happen. But suddenly, eighth, two points off the top six. Are you finally entertaining the idea, Justin? Well, this is what I mean. I keep finding myself ruling Preston out. Um, and there's always a team every season that makes a late run to the playoff playoffs whether they get into that top six or not they there's always a team that comes from sort of 14th 15th 10th maybe um and they they make you ask questions of them and that's what pressing are doing now they're in this really good moment of form they've they've been exceptionally good they've been very good defensively they've been taking the chances as well which is something you can criticize them of this season yeah they had a really poor run of form a sort of middle uh, middle phase of the season they weren't taking their chances at that point not creating too much either 
shoes on the other foot, they are doing that. They are also as defensively strong as they have been all season. So whilst they are, as I say, I, I'm, I find myself constantly ruling them out. They're making me ask more, more and more questions of them. I mean, you've got a striker in form like Tom Cannon as well, who's who's getting opportunity. I mean, you just look at his head. His head was brilliant. His head was a that of that yeah, fitting of a player in in the confident form he's in. He's got six and seven seven games now. He's he's been fantastic, and I, I think I think Preston are a contender. They're a contender. I'm not going to say a serious contender just because. Yeah, they've got a lot of games to play between now and the end of the season, or well, six games, and it's a it's a big big April. But Monday is a big time. is a big game for them. If they can come out again with three points, then I would swing very heavily to them possibly finishing that sixth place. Because you look at Blackburn, their form's dropped off. Norwich are inconsistent. They're taking advantage of it. Preston. I am starting to believe myself that they <laughs> might sneak in. I will say though. 80% of that belief is down to no one else seemingly wanting to yeah. finish in the top six. I mean, uh, I'll work this out. In each of their last three games, Blackburn, Norwich, Coventry, West Brom, Sunderland and Watford, between them, they've won three games from eight from a possible 18. <laughs> I mean, whoever gets that last playoff place is really stumbling over the line, aren't they? Uh, a quick shout out for young Tom Cannon, by the way. You gave him a little mention there, Justin. He's got, he's got a brace here and has now got five goals in five games. He has been in cracking form. Took a little while for him to get going at Preston, but has been excellent recently. Justin, let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about a win for Rotherham and a big win for Cardiff as well. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Rotherham came from a goal down to beat West Brom 3-1. Perhaps a surprise result, no less for myself after picking them as my banker on Thursday. But what's probably even more surprising is Rotherham absolutely battered West Brom. I'm not surprised. I I backed, I disagreed with you, if I'm right. Because oh, Rotherham's very good. Look at you getting on your high horse. <laughs> May I remind... Dear listener, that Justin Peach, this is the same Justin Peach who got, who went like six or seven weeks without getting a prediction right, and now he's giving it the big one. Uh, yeah, I believe I got four out of five this weekend. Um, so I'm what you would call a football genius, a championship expert, and I'm going to gloat nonetheless. But it was an emphatic win, and one that I didn't see, one that I did see coming, as I say. Um, Rotherham's record against teams in that top half is, is quite exceptional. They're very good at home as well. They score a lot of go- goals at home, clearly create a lot of chances as well. Because as you say, as you said, they, they'd absolutely battered West Brom. Um, and I think down to, you know, a lot of it's down to the delivery of Shane Ferguson, Jordan Hugo being, uh, well, apart from the penalty he gave away, he was he was up for it. And that's not a surprise given the stick West Brom fans have given him over the last few, uh, well, last two seasons. Ogbeni was 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 electric. He hit the woodwork. I think the most surprising thing about this performance is probably more so how lackluster Rotherham have been in the last few games. For them to then switch it up and uh, turn it on against a team who are competing to get into that play uh, that top six is 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 yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, Rotherham was sensational, and they made West Brom look like a team who were were chasing the top six who made them look like a team sort of 16th, 17th and, and languishing. They were with that good. They were brilliant. 
Well, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was like men against boys at times. And it mm. wasn't the team fighting for the playoffs who were the men in this scenario. Jordan Hugill shushed the baggy supporters after scoring his first then. Obviously, being his further cl- uh, former club, he scored again afterwards, but he could have got four alone in this mm. one. In fact, his second goal was a lot trickier than some of his other chances. I think, if I'm being completely honest, I think Rotherham were nothing more than a 7 out of 10 in this game. Very good, but helped massively by West Brom just being terrible. Uh, where, where does this leave West Brom's playoff hopes, Justin? They're still... In reach, because as we were saying earlier, no one seems to want to finish in the playoffs. But, I mean, this isn't a great result at all, is it? It isn't. I think the thing that worries me, they've got a lot of defensive... Well, they've got a lot of injuries throughout the squad and defensively they, they are struggling for numbers. But the, the, the defence that turned out against Rotherham were very experienced. You've got Furlong, Peters, Ajayi uh, and Townsend, all very experienced defenders. And as, as you pointed out, they were made to look like inexperienced kids they were poor they were bullied that's not what you want for a team as we've pointed out with the likes of Sheffield United and other sides you've got to be ruthless in this scenario West Brom are ruthless at home but seemingly their way records I mean their way performance here was was particularly poor so that's the thing that concerns me and it's it's something that they've got to bounce back from very quickly because 3-1 flattered West Brom it could have been a 5 or 6 if if maybe if Rotherham were perhaps a little bit more clinical or more confident as it could have been five or six through on flat West Brom. I saw a lot of supporters saying it was one of the worst performances they've said uh, seen in a long time. So if you can get carried away coming from a, a poor defeat, but looking at the numbers and looking at the highlights and whatever we do in terms of research, it's hard to disagree with them. It was dreadful. Yeah, this was a big result for Rotherham, though. Just their fourth victory since November. It sees them leap up to 18th, three points above the bottom three. I mean, three points might be enough based off how few and far between points are for some of the other sides below them. This relegation battle does feel a a bit like musical chairs, doesn't it? And (laughs) they're just going to keep changing positions until we see who's sat in the bad three chairs when we get to 46 games. But Rotherham can certainly fancy their chances of finishing in a good chair um, come the 46-game mark. Cardiff got a massive win away at Blackpool in a relegation six-pointer. They came out 3-1 victors. Uh, This game ultimately led to the sacking of Mick McCarthy, which we'll talk about a bit in the news, Justin. Cardiff were three up at half-time in this one, and that quick start really killed the game, didn't it? It did. It's not something I'm not surprised by. I think the thing I actually am surprised by is the form of, of Conor Wickham in this game. But Cardiff just exploited the weaknesses that Blackpool have. They were direct. Um, they got, obviously, Sorry uh, Cabra up front and Conor Wickham. Those two ran the channels brilliantly. They they almost dictated how the game was going to go. And they just exploited how poor um, defensively Blackpool Blackpool are. Every delivery that went in, every, every ball into the channel, you thought uh, Cardiff were going to create something out of it. And... They did on, on numerous occasions. It was a really good performance and a really good game plan by Lamushi. That is backed up by you know, the technical ability of some of the players. Joe Rawls was brilliant at left wing back. But it's an important win for Cardiff and one that obviously puts the, the nail on nail on the coffin for Mick McCarthy's tenure at Blackpool. But also, I would argue that it maybe resigns them to, to relegation as well because to, to lose so emphatically and disappointingly as they did against a team that are down there with them, Shows shows a lot of you know a bit of a lack of fight, but more so with Cardiff shows that they've got that those those variables that Blackpool are clearly missing. 
Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about that, Justin, and it is very difficult seeing Blackpool get out of this position now. Whoever comes in, which we'll talk about more in the news, Justin, has got a massive job on their hands, haven't they? Because in terms of points, it's not actually that big a mountain for them to climb. It's just Blackpool have just been so poor for a long time now. I mean, they offered very little in what was a very important game for them, and that's not very encouraging. Jerry Yates wasn't in the squad for this one, so Blackpool didn't have a striker on the pitch, which is a bit of a problem, but still, you'd expect more of a fight from some of the players who are quite talented in this Blackpool team. A huge win for Cardiff, though. It's only their second away game that they've not lost this calendar year and with it being against a big relegation battle it boosts their survival hopes significantly I wanted to highlight someone who's been a really good signing for them and that's Sorry Cabba up front they brought him in on loan for Midtjylland in Denmark and has proven to be a real handful for opposition defenders Cardiff desperately needed more firepower in the summer and He's provided it. Five goals for this season, averaging a goal every 125 minutes. They just look so much more threatening when he's on the pitch. I mean, you whip it across into the box and he's a real nightmare for defenders to deal with, whether that's in the air or whether it's him, you know, nipping in front of the first man at the near post because he's he's quick, he's strong in the air. He's been really impressive and Cardiff need to be looking to get him for next season as well because he's he's proving to be a real, real danger man for the Bluebirds. We'll round off the relegation battle with Reading, Justin, who have dropped into the bottom three after only managing a draw at home to Birmingham 1-1. It finished a scrappy game, this one. The only bits of real quality came from the two goals. Andy Cowles was a real beauty and then a brilliant header by Lukas Jukovic. Is this a bad result for Reading, Justin? Maybe. I think with Birmingham... A team that are probably you're looking at them and thinking they're not necessarily competing for anything. So we should take the game to them, see what answer they got, uh, answers they've got for us. I don't think Reading really did that. I don't think they really took the game to to Birmingham. They Reading were uh, more threatening from set pieces, which means there's a lot to, they need to do in open play. I thought Birmingham offered more in open play than than Reading did. Which maybe if there was more quality in that Birmingham team. Uh, they probably could have got a result. You look at Tong, uh, Chong's chance at the end of the game uh, or towards the end of the game. It was was a, was a fairly big testament of that. And as I say, I don't think Reading offered too much outside of set pieces. So I do think it's a poor result. And I think the style of play is, is the main reason why Reading supporters are frustrated because Inter's style of play is so simplistic, it is quite easy to counter. So... Yeah, there's a lot of problems in running a, a bang in trouble. It was a it was a must-win game, and so is Monday. So is the next game and the next game. They have to win games. They have to start winning games. Hard to see it happening if they just persist with a really bland, ordinary five out of ten style of play. Well, you say that Paul Ince definitely would have wanted three points here, and will be disappointed they didn't get it. It is now three draws in a row for the Royals, which isn't spectacular form, but. It might be enough. You, you look at QPR, they look completely hopeless right now. Blackpool are really struggling. We're going to have a lot of ground to make up. If Reading keep drawing, that may be enough to keep them up. I mean, if that happens, they'll be crawling across the line with their limbs missing and looking a bit like Daniel Kaluuya and get out by the end of it. But they won't care as long as they actually get there because that is the priority now for Reading, isn't it? Just getting over the finishing line with their championship status still intact. Still a lot of work to do. But you've got to say that the three teams who are 
immediately around Redinger looking a lot more perilous than they are. Andy Carroll was arguing with a supporter after the game in what was a strange moment. I think it's a sign of how much frustration there is around Reading right mm. now. They've got a lot of fighting to do, haven't they, to keep themselves up. Let's go back onto the playoff uh, playoff race. And there was a proper six-pointer at Ewood Park between Blackburn and Norwich. But it was the Canaries who ran out the 2-0 winners. This was the battle of the two teams who you look at in the table and go, how are they both so high? But it was two great goals in this game, particularly from young Liam Gibbs, who started here instead of Timmy Puki, and it paid off for David Wagner. How are you assessing the playoff chances of these two after this, Justin? They sit right next to each other, just a point separating them. Blackburn have a game in hand, but Norwich have a much superior goal difference. So plenty of jostling to do between these two, or it may not even end up being either of them. Yeah, it, may, it may, may, may not be the case. I think if, if they, they continue being as inconsistent as they are, Preston could well take advantage of that, which obviously makes for a very intriguing end to the season for us as, as commentators. But this game, I think we've criticised Norwich a lot under Wagner. I think that Wagner deserves a lot of credit. He's obviously done his homework on Blackburn. Blackburn had the largest, the large amount of possession didn't really do much with it and Norwich were electric on the counter-attack. Joss Sargent was, was fantastic as well, as were Saro and Hernandez. And as I say, that soaking up of the pressure and hitting Rovers on the counter-attack really, really played into their hands. And I think if they adopt that philosophy under Wagner, that might serve them a lot better than perhaps being in possession because when they're in possession, they are a little bit like Blackburn in this game. They don't ask too many questions or enough questions. So maybe this could start to signify maybe a slight turn in, in, in style of play that might push them up the table but they've been inconsistent it's quite hard to predict what they do as as is the same with Blackburn but it's a, a vital vital win for Norwich because I thought they were down and out and they just put themselves back into contention quite easily well, the reason they're not down and out is because they seem to linger around the edge exactly. of the playoffs somehow despite <laughs> never seemingly winning games which is a, a strange quirk of this season but I might say a lot about the race for the playoffs. Uh, in another big game near the top of the table, Millwall v Luton ended 0-0. This was another scrappy draw. Millwall came the closest to winning at the end of the day though. It's probably a decent result for both sides. I think so. Uh, Luton keep their 10th clean sheet away from home this season, which gives you a nice indication of how they might turn out in the playoffs if they can't catch Sheffield United for the automatics. Um, I think that steeliness that they've got is is a very nice edge to have. Similarly with Millwall, I think Luton might be a little bit better at it and they've got that clinical, clinical edge that Millwall might not have. Obviously not the case in this game, but from Millwall's perspective, it's probably two good draws. They may have wanted a win. Uh, over the last two games against West Brom and Luton but they're solid they just need to be creating a little bit more maybe could have had a penalty I think it was the Bradshaw trip that was no the Lockyer on Jake Cooper was a was a basically grappling him to the ground I think that maybe could have been a penalty but nonetheless I think a draw was probably a fair result Coventry could only manage a point away at Swansea that one finished goalless as well Coventry are drawing a lot of games aren't they too many games really they've got one win in five and all of those games have been against sides in the bottom half. And if they turned just one of those draws into a win, they'd be probably properly licking their lips, wouldn't they? Because they would be right on the periphery of the top six. And, I mean, it's not great form if you're not picking up more than just one win against sides in the bottom half, is it? So mm. plenty more for them to do, isn't there, Justin? Well, there is. And again, it's quite a similar scenario with Norwich and Blackburn in that, 
Coventry aren't winning games, but they're still in contention just because the amount of points that aren't separating sides at the moment. Uh, as you pointed out, I think if they can get a couple of wins, they can they can well be in that in that contention. But it's these games that they need to show showcase that ability to want to get in the top six. It's that ability they need to get into the top six and the depth that they need as well. If you look at things as well, missing Callum O'Hare, Casey Palmer, big creators in that side. They probably turn these these types of results, these these tight draws into into wins. So that might be playing a factor as well. But yeah, not the not the best not the best result. But it's a clean sheet after getting hammered at, uh, in the last game. So there's a positive there, and they're still within contention because of the points. There was an incredible game at the Stadium of Light. Sunderland 4, Hull 4. Hull went ahead, then Sunderland went ahead, then Hull went ahead again, and then Sunderland equalised. Um, it was your classic thriller near the end of the season, wasn't it? In fact, I, I even, it, there were so many goals and so many twists and turns in this one that I even got that wrong, didn't they? Because Hull equalised right at the death. So yes. yeah, I'm, I'm losing track of how chaotic <laughs> that game was. Um, but yeah, an unbelievable game between two sides without much to play for, really. Jack Clark had a sensational Ooh. game. Did produce one of the worst assists in living memory for Sunderland's first best. goal. All the best. Who knows? Only Jack <laughs> Clark will be able to tell you. Um, but yeah, this was an incredible bit of viewing on Good Friday, just after all the 3pm games. So I really enjoyed that. At Sunderland's last goal, by the way, was a real beauty. I had a lot of time for that one. And then finally, Bristol City came from a goal down to beat Stoke 2-1. Neither team have anything to play for. They are both very much you know, mid-table, on-the-beach sides already, aren't they? But a good game. A good enough game for us neutrals, I suppose. Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And Mick McCarthy has left Blackpool by mutual consent. The club said in a statement that both parties agreed that a change was needed. He won two games from 14 at Bloomfield Road. Justin, you were never a fan of this appointment, were you? It just didn't make sense. Blackpool didn't play the way he sets his teams up. He likes to play back fives most of the time he's not really been able to do that because of player availability and quality of centre-backs available at Blackpool it just didn't make any sense and you look at the wealth of the attacking players that Blackpool possess in that squad Mick McCarthy hasn't had those types of players I think if you go back to the success of Ipswich the most luxury player he had was David McGoldrick potentially um, and whilst he was good at Ipswich yeah, it's not exactly a, a big uh, statement of in, 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 well not intent but confidence in, in what he can get out of the likes of Bowler and Morgan Rogers. those players have been in and out of the team under Mick McCarthy which goes to you know, says quite a lot about his confidence in, in getting the best out of them losing Gary Medine obviously doesn't help because he needs a big target man playing balls and aimless balls into channels doesn't necessarily help either it just didn't, it just didn't make any sense it was a square peg in a round hole they needed to bring in a manager after Appleton who um, who could get the best out of the attacking group that they've got because defensively they don't have enough quality. Um, and I think that's that's caught up with them. I just think it was a bad appointment. They should have done their homework. They didn't. It speaks a lot about Blackpool behind the scenes since uh, Critch left. Well, at the end of the day, Blackpool have a good squad. A squad much better than 23rd in the table, in my opinion. Injuries haven't helped, but there's just not been enough of an improvement. They, they've they had so many incredible results. They drew with Burnley and had that 
really strange 6-1 win yeah. against QPR, which may have been more down to how bad QPR are than how good Blackpool are. But Blackpool needed more than just a couple of flashes in the pan, a lot more than just a couple of flashes in the pan for them to have mm-hmm. any chance of staying up. I do wonder if football has changed since Mick McCarthy's days. I mean, getting promoted with Sunderland and Wolves, you know, more than 10 years ago now we're talking, maybe football has moved on from the days of, you know, keeping it solid at the back and just hoofing it up to Sylvan Ebanks, Blake up top. And maybe it's, maybe that that was just such a bad way of thinking that Mick McCarthy would be the person to get them out of the position they're in. So, I mean, Mick McCarthy was brought in as a firefighter and the flames have only got bigger in the time that he's been mm-hmm. there. So, it was a that that was the reason he came in, wasn't it? To try and keep Blackpool up in the championship. But in he's done the exact opposite, really, Hanty, and that's yeah. why that's why Blackpool are now staring firmly down the barrel after that decision. So what mm-hmm. do Blackpool do next then, Justin? Get someone in for six games? I mean their next game's on Monday, so it's more likely to be five games unless they move really quickly. Or do they just give it to caretaker Stephen Dobby for the remainder of the season? I'd see what Stephen Dobby can do between now and the end of the season, see if he can pick the team up. Because uh, I just think defensively they're not going to keep enough chances out, not going to keep enough goals out of this um, out, from, uh, out of opposition um, to to garner results to get out of that bottom three. I would be very surprised if they do. Can't rule it out because we've seen crazy things in the championship. But for me, as I say, I just think this Blackpool side is so bereft of confidence defensively. They they've got nothing and. Even so, I think Mick McCarthy did get some sparks out of this side going forwards. They created a lot of chances, but they were largely very, very wasteful. Again, that stand to confidence, lack of wins is not going to help that. But I do think sacking Appleton without a plan in place, Neil Critchley going in the summer, again, not really having a contingency either. It's just uh, it's just bad organisation, <laughs> to be really blunt. And that's what's got them in this position. That's why they're going down to League One. Teams that are bad at organising themselves and have a poor structure in place off the pitch tend to tend to not fare too well. We're going to similar Huddersfield down there because they've been similar this season. So not really surprised, to be honest with you. The Sunday Mirror is reporting Neil Critchley could be in line for a return next season, which would be incredible, wouldn't it? Whether fans are willing to forgive him or not for walking out on the club, I'm not too sure. In his defence, I wonder if he knew what was coming this season because it it always seemed a bit of a strange move for him to take up an assistant manager's job and leave a championship manager's job behind but maybe he knew they weren't going to be able to strengthen much last summer and jump ship while he had the chance I mean mm-hmm. I won't blame him that in that case because look what's happened whatever the case getting Critchley back would be a smart move in my opinion I still rate him as a head coach despite his spell at QPR I mean, it's looking more and more like that wasn't necessarily down to him, that he struggled at Loftus Road. So, yeah, it would make complete sense. I mean, it's looking very likely now that they'll be in League One, though. Norwich have confirmed Timu Puki will leave the club in the summer. The 33-year-old joined in 2018 on a free transfer and has scored 87 goals in 192 league games in both the Championship and the Premier League for the Canaries. He scored double figures in all five seasons at Carra Road. What a legend, Justin. Do you think he'd be a good signing for another championship side? I think he'd be a brilliant signing for many championship sides. I'd be, if I was a team wanting to get in that top six, I'd, I'd certainly look at him. But I think he'll probably 
part to somewhere that um, somewhere else around Europe. I think he's got a lot in the bag still. I don't think he's a player who. I think he's good. I think he's quick over sort of five or ten yards. He's got he's very sharp in and around that box. So I don't think he necessarily has to rely on his pace. A bit like Billy Sharp, to be honest with you. Um, so I think he was still he's still got some uh, yeah, a fair few year, years left, and he's, he's still a good finisher as well. Just hasn't had the chances at Norwich this season uh, it, it put in front of him. So yeah, I think there'll be a lot of teams probably sniffing around him in the Championship. But I think Pookie himself will probably want to go to a challenge elsewhere. He's been at the club a long time, gone with legendary status, won promotion a couple of times, and quite rightly is viewed in my opinion as one of the best strikers that has ever graced a Championship. What a player! Yeah, not going to disagree with you on that. Ashley Barnes has announced he'll be leaving Burnley at the end of the season. He spent nine years at Turf Moor, another legend. I will bet a lot of money that he's at Birmingham next season. In injury news, <laughs> Cardiff manager. It just it just seems like a very Birmingham signing, doesn't it? Let's be honest. In injury news, Cardiff manager Sabri Lamushi fears top scorer Callum Robinson could miss the rest of the season. He's been sidelined since February with a hamstring injury. Lamushi is hoping he'll be back for the final three games of the season, but admits he's afraid that might be it for Robinson. So we'll have to wait and see on that one. Preston say top scorer Chad Evans will require surgery after developing a serious medical condition from repeated high force contact. He's He's already been ruled out for the season, but North End say the 34-year-old faces potentially life-changing consequences and have consulted with the country's leading specialists over the past few after over the past week. They went on to say all parties are hopeful that Ched will be back playing and scoring in a PNE shirt in the future. We wish him all the best, of course, with what he's going through. Coventry midfielder Jamie Allen has signed a new contract until 2025. Izzy Brown has retired from football at the age of 26. The former Huddersfield, Luton and Sheffield Wednesday midfielder says he's been struggling for the last year with two Achilles tendon surgeries. I mean, really sad news, Justin. He had mixed spells at different clubs, but I'll always remember that when he was at fit at Huddersfield and to a lesser extent Luton, he was a brilliant player, wasn't he? Well, his Luton spell, I think he was in that first third of the season. He was one of the most creative players in the division. He, he laid up a lot of chances, uh, but obviously Luton at that point, I think it was under Graham Jones, wasn't it? They weren't quite mm. at their best, shall we say, and obviously were fighting relegation. So I think that was a remarkable show of what he can do when he's in form, fit and firing. It's just a shame. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a, a waste of talent, but it's disappointing not being able to see him progress because of being held back by injuries. So yeah, really sad and wish him well in his retirement. I hope he you know, comes back to coaching some capacity because yeah, he's clearly got quality and hopefully he can pass that on to, to, to others. And finally, the Wigan Observer says Wigan's players have been paid early this month. So after failing to pay the players for a number of weeks last month, so... A decent gesture, I suppose, in trying to repair any damage that was happened there. Maybe. Uh, let's do the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. Who's the most likely to stay up out of these four? Blackpool, QPR, Reading and Wigan. Blackpool, QPR, Reading, Wigan. Oh my God, that is, that is so hard. <laughs> so hard to choose. I would maybe say Reading. Because they've got a lot of experience, QPR free falling, and I think Blackpool and Wigan are down at this point. Yeah, I think the listeners' votes have kind of gone with what you've said, Justin. 56% of people said Reading, 29% said QPR, 9% said Blackpool, 6% said Wigan. 
You can't rule anything out because it's the championship, but it would take a minor miracle, really, for Blackpool and Wigan to get out of the positions they're in. Where will Burnley finish in the Premier League next season? Relegation, just staying up, lower mid-table, top half. I would say between staying up and just staying up, if that's a thing. Like a, a comfortable 16th or comfortable 15th, I would say. So, yeah. Lower, lower mid-table, then, I guess. those options, I, guess. I suppose. I guess. Um, I'd go top half. I just really fancy so Burnley to do... S- I fancy them naive. to do some do something impressive next season. Just I mean, you look how much Fulham, how well Fulham have done this season. I mean, Burnley, I think are a better side than Fulham. So, I think we can definitely see them finishing the top half next season. But thirty six percent of people said just staying up. Thirty six percent of people also said lower mid table. Twenty five percent said relegation. Three percent said top half. And then finally, do you like Star Wars? Yes. No. Never watched it. Freaking love it. Where Obviously. were you yesterday, Justin? I was at the Star Wars celebration event. If any, if any big virgins like me know anything about it, um, it's the biggest event in the Star Wars calendar. So many things were announced. I saw Carl Weathers. Uh, many might know him as Apollo Creed, the actual original Apollo Creed, not the knockoff we've got now. Um, mm. Oh my god, it was amazing. That's all I can say. Was Doctor Spock there? of people said yes, 29% of people said no, 17% of people said never watched it. Um, Finally, Justin, we'll finish this episode of The Second Tier with a new game that I've concocted. It's called Lee Camp's Championship Tennis. It's quite simple, really. So I'm going to say a championship player, past or present. Justin, you then have to respond with a player whose first name starts with the same letter of the surname of the player, I just said. So, for example, I say Chubarakpom, you say Alex Scott, then I next say, I don't know, Scott Parker, if he has played in the championship. And we basically just keep going until it takes someone too long to respond, let's say five seconds, or someone says a player who hasn't played in the championship, or if someone says a player who's already been said. If we think a player has been said who hasn't played in the championship or has already been said, then the other player can challenge it. However, if that player is wrong they lose. Uh, and when I say play in the championship, I mean since it was rebranded in 2004. How does that sound? This could either end within three seconds or could take 10 minutes. Exactly. And that's that's going to be very interesting to see in itself. We'll, we'll see how it goes. It may very well be the first and last time we give this game a go, but here we are. Justin, I'm willing to let you go first. So just to reaffirm, Chuba Akpom... And I say Alex Scott, that's fine, because Alex Scott's name starts with an A, which is... Yes. Right, okay. And then so I have to say an S, and then someone... Got you, got you. So you're going to let me start. I'm going to say Thomas Ince. Thomas Ince. I will go for Ivar Ingemarsson. Ivar Ingemarsson. Elias Chair. Callum Wilson. A W's. No, Callum Wilson. Ah... Uh, See what I mean? This could go. Yeah, could I, go think absolutely wrong. I think you're gone. Right, we'll, we'll, we'll do best two out of three, shall we? So that's one round to me. Um, Justin, it's your serve again. I'll, I'll it's my serve that. again. I'm going to go with Troy Deeney, Daryl DK, Daniel Pudil, Peter Whittingham. It's a bloody W again. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think of any players with W. Oh, come, on. come on, surely. Is there any Williams? 
I can't think. No. I, I think that's. Uh, I, th- I think ah. you've taken a, a bit too long to serve at this point. It's it's hit a ball boy behind you. Um, <laughs> you know what? We'll bet we'll do best three out of five then. <laughs> any players with any players called William that you can think Will of? Will Smallbone. Yeah, balls. Yeah, maybe. There you go. We'll use him. Um, go on, Justin. You can serve again. <laughs> I'll go again. Uh, uh, Andy Vyman. Will Smallbone. <laughs> okay, no, it's, it's an S. Uh, Sam Surridge. Sammy Schmodix. <laughs> uh, Stern John. Jamie Curitan. Ooh, Carl Court. <laughs> um, oh God, Charlie Austin. Ooh, ooh. Um, Austin Trusty. Tommy Smith. <sighs> Crikey! I'll call that. Gone. He's gone. He's gone, ladies and gentlemen. Well, there you go. I'm, I'm like the Roger Federer of Lee Camp's Championship Tennis in that case. Uh, and you're the Tim Henman, Justin. Uh, three out of five. Uh, well, three out of three for me in that in that uh, respective game. Um, would you like to play that again, Justin? Would you like to play it in the future, do you think? I think, yeah, once once we're up and running with it, maybe we can practice a little bit you know, in a pub garden. When, when, Have when a few the practice nice. rallies. Yeah, just because... That is hard to think like W's. I need to need to know more W's. Mm. Yeah, you need to have a good think tricky. about it, don't you? So get get some like you know standard names down for the difficult letters, and then you'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've never played this, so give me a break. I mean, neither have I. And but you researched <laughs> it. Just, it, just it was a breeze for me. Um, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. That's been Lee Camp's Championship Tennis, our new game. And this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Tuesday to react to all the Easter Monday games. So we look forward to seeing you then. Um, and yeah, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. See you again on Tuesday. I have been Ryan Dilks. I have been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening.